doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and today we'll be speaking with Kara Pearson about seasonal affective disorder. This is another condition that a lot of people consider to not be real, which annoys me. <laughs> I mean, this is a, a this is going to be a common theme on this show that people experience chronic pain and other people tell them that it isn't real. So for anyone who lives in the Pacific Northwest, like I do for the last decade, you see people around you experiencing seasonal affective disorder, some of whom it gets very severe. Um, so you know that it's real. But if you don't live in the Pacific Northwest, if you live in San Diego, like I did for the first 25 years of my life, you probably don't meet people with seasonal affective disorder very often, if at all. So you might be under the impression that it isn't real because you've never seen it for yourself, experienced it, or met anyone who had it. Um, and that's why we're doing this, is to demonstrate to you that it is real. Some people experience it. And Let's build some understanding and empathy for people who experience chronic pain like seasonal affective disorder. We do talk a bit about suicide in this episode, so I just want to throw this out there in the beginning of the episode. If you are having suicidal thoughts, you do not have to go through this alone, and you can get through it. So call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255, or just do a quick Google search for a local suicide prevention number if that's what you'd rather do. There's a lot of resources out there. I think all of us have experienced depression at one point or another in our lives, and I know that I've experienced depression that was very severe, um, and sometimes it just feels like there's no hope, but there is always hope. But if you're feeling alone and you're feeling depressed and you need help, reach out to that number, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. I also want to share with you, this episode was recorded pre-COVID. This is uh, the second of three podcasts that I re recorded before the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. And at the end of the episode, I always ask my guests, you know, what would you like to share? Is there anything you'd like to plug? And Kara has a new plug that didn't exist pre-COVID. So I want to share it with you now. She's actually started doing online yoga classes. So if that's something you're interested in, um, you know, having some sort of guided way to move your body, it's very adaptive. It can work for someone experiencing chronic pain. And as you're about to find out, Kara is a very knowledgeable, per knowledgeable person, healthcare professional, and might be able to help you out if you are looking for ways to move your body in a way that feels good, even if you don't feel good. Um, check out her website, carapirian.com, C-A-R-A-P-I-E-R-I-A-N.com. This will be the third episode that I'm dropping all at once, right on the first day when this podcast launches, and then I'm going to get into some sort of release schedule for the episodes I have recorded moving forward and start recording new episodes as well. Uh, like I said in the very first episode, I don't know what my schedule is going to be. I'm going to shoot for once a week, and we'll see how it goes. You know, I have these unpredictable flare-ups of pain and, you know, body functionality issues where sometimes I just can't work on this. Um, so I don't know if I'll be able to hold to a schedule, but I'm going to try. But I always appreciate any feedback at our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. And while this show is brand new, I extra, extra appreciate any positive ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Podcasts, Podcast Republic, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Um, I really appreciate positive ratings and reviews. It's a dream of mine to hit that Apple Podcasts new and notable podcast list. So, hey, we might be able to make it happen with enough positive ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. And if that's something you're interested in seeing happen for this show, I'd love for your help. 
All right, let's get into our discussion with Kara Pearson about seasonal affective disorder. All right, here we go. Uh, <laughs> I want to cut this part out. <laughs> First, we have to get the giggles out. Yeah, get the giggles out. All right, Kara Pearson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Who am I? Oh, my God, that's an open-ended question. I'm a different person every day. Um, well, let's see. I am a pediatric nurse practitioner by profession. Uh-huh. I work with unique and quirky kids um, in a lot of different capacities. Um, and in my personal life, I'm a traveler, writer, dancer, um, and just explorer of this world. Nice. So you... You recently opened your own practice. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. I did. So um, I was working for years at an autism clinic, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, uh, but it was time for me to make a career change. And I wanted to have a little bit more freedom and independence to really focus on the aspects of my job that I really enjoyed the most. And so I'm opening up a private practice that's centered around Um, doing consultations for families whose kids have autism, um, also ADHD, sensory processing disorder, developmental delays, um, kids who whose developmental trajectories are just a little bit different from the typical expected trajectories. Um, And what I what I offer to families is guidance and counseling and coaching around a lot of the common day-to-day issues that can come up. Um, Difficulties with eating, sleeping, behavior, getting along at school, getting the right services at school. Um, And I, you know, I really just want to help adults understand their kids and sort of be able to enjoy them more and have more harmony at home and to um, really empower adults to help kids thrive and develop and, um, you know, follow their own developmental pathways in a way that's going to really work for them. So um, another gap that I wanted to fill is it's really hard to get specialized developmental services outside of major metropolitan areas. Yeah. So I'm offering my consultations via telehealth through... uh, online teleconferencing service so that hopefully I can reach families who don't live right in Seattle. Yeah. Um, or even for just anyone on the go who can't make it into the office. Right. parents are busy. Parents are super busy. So, you know, if someone wants to be able to, like, take an hour break from work and visit with me, they can do that. I mean, another thing that comes up is for some of these kids, it can be really hard for them to go to new places and sit in a waiting room for a long time sure. and then be, you know, cooped up in an office while their parents talk with someone, for, with a stranger for an right. hour. So the kids can stay at home and I can see them in their, you know, natural habitat versus bringing them into an artificial uh, clinical setting. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. I can't, you know, I mean... I, being a child with some sort of, you know, developmental hurdle is one thing, but being the parent of a child is a whole different thing. Yes. So 
so basically you're kind of helping on both sides of that. You're helping parents learn and helping children develop. Exactly. I see parents and, ch- and children as really like one system, one mm-hmm. unit. Yeah. You can't impact one without impacting the other. So it's important um, It's important for us to think holistically when we're addressing issues with kids. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. And if someone is interested in your services, where would they go to find you? They would go to my website. It's called fullspectrumfamilies.com. Cool. And I chose, <laughs> yeah, I chose that name because I, you know, I work with kids who are on the full spectrum of autism. Yeah. But I also want to help people live, you know, full spectrum lives to have lives that aren't just dominated by disability care or dominated by, you know, fighting the school system, but finding ways to overcome those hurdles and, and, you know, be able to deal with those things, but also enjoy, um, you know, family time and recreation and good food and restful sleep and, and meaningful routines in the day. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, I hope that people will check you out. I, it sounds like a, a very cool, niche way to help families that I've never really seen anyone do before. Yeah, it's super niche. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that once people hear about it, 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 it will connect. It'll make sense. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think it's filling filling a gap that um, that needs to be filled. Yeah, absolutely. So, Kara, what is your major pain? My major pain. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was kind of surprised when you asked me to join you on this podcast because yeah. I know it's about chronic pain. I was like, what? I don't have chronic pain. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, you mentioned my seasonal affective disorder that I've had for, I don't know, my whole adult life. And yeah. then, you know, in, instantly it was like an aha moment. This is a major pain. Yeah. Seasonal affective disorder that is my is major fascinating pain. Fascinating <laughs> that you wouldn't think of it that way. Yeah. Because, yeah I never I mean, had. I have seen, well, okay. I, let me just—I have to say this real quick off the say top. It. I have—I uh, I had no experience with seasonal affective disorder because I grew up in San Diego. But about oh, yeah. almost ten years ago, I moved to Seattle, and it's a big deal up here. And it is. I've known a couple people who suffered from it in a very acute way, and you were by far the the most acute case of seasonal affective disorder that <laughs> I've <was>? seen. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Well, I just know that you know. I just want to say off the top that this is a real thing that really affects people yeah. and a lot of people laugh it off. Yeah. And and that really bothers me. And I really appreciate you coming out to talk about it. So let's get into it. Tell me about yeah. your seasonal affective disorder. Well, gosh, what can I say? Um, it is real. It is real. And, you know, it took me a while to accept that it was real. Um, and, and it's been uh, a kind of, my understanding of it has been evolving over the years. I think I first experienced or, or realized that I was experiencing seasonal depression and these, you know, long, gray winters, um, like in my mid or early 20s. Um, and at first, I really resisted it. I really, I, um, you know... I took it as at a sign that as a sign that something was wrong. Um, there was something wrong with me or my life. I needed to fix things or change things or um, move somewhere sunnier. <laughs> yeah. You know, like something something was wrong. And and so uh, you know, on top of the of the pain of just having these like long periods of depression that would come every winter. I also had this pain of 
of of really hating that I had depression, mm-hmm. of really sort of having this panicky feeling of like needing to to fix it. Um, and, you know, I certainly like went to psychiatrists and went to therapists and I've tried a a few different medications and so on. And, and those are all, you know, helpful to a certain extent. And I'm glad I did do that. You know, I'm glad I did seek out care and, and try to look for some solutions. But as I'm, you know, I'm now in my mid thirties. And so I've been dealing with this for at least 10 years. Um, and it hasn't gone away, um, but I found much better ways of coping with it. And um, beyond just finding ways to cope with it, um, I've also um, sort of reformulated its meaning hmm. to me in my mind. Um, because my my automatic reaction at first was the meaning of this depression was something is bad, something is wrong. Um, and now I've sort of changed my, my sense of the meaning of this experience to, um, this is part of my life. This is a signal that I need to slow down in the winter. Um, this is a signal that I need to, you know, keep working hard at developing the routines that work for me, um, and it, you know, it's also sort of challenged me to change my definition of happiness. Wow, this there's a lot that you just said that's really <laughs> fascinating. Um, what does what does that mean to change the definition of of happiness? So, um, my something that my favorite therapist once said to me that really stuck with me. Um, and really helped me sort of redefine how I see happiness is that we tend to have a lot of words for the ways that we suffer. I'm grumpy. I'm in pain. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm blue. I'm melancholy. I'm mopey. You know, just like we can, we can easily, you know, come up with a lot of words in our, in our um, regular vocabulary to describe different kinds of like negative states. Um, but we often don't have a lot of words for happiness. Yeah. We talk about either just being happy or being not happy. But what is happiness? It can be a lot of different experiences. And so when I was thinking about it, I realized that I usually associated the word happiness with like, you know, really high energy states of joy mm-hmm. or elation. And the thing with the se- my seasonal depression is I will go months without feeling joy or elation. Uh, But happiness can be so much more than that. And so what my therapist asked me to do that was a really useful exercise is list out as many words as you can that describe different kinds of happiness. And so I, I included high energy words, joy and elation, but also things like comfort, Mm -hmm. pleasure, connecting with a loved one, um, satisfaction, ease. Um, and I, you know, I just wrote a really long list. I filled up a whole page with words that are, you know, synonyms for or different types of happiness or positive feeling states. And I realized I can still feel a lot of those feelings. Um, so, you know, 
one of the things that comes along with depression for for most people is what's called anhedonia, oh, what's um, that? which is just the inability or the great difficulty in feeling happiness okay. or pleasure. Um, and you know, to me, that that can be the hardest part, even more so than feeling sad or feeling pessimistic or having no energy. It's it's when you do the things that usually give you pleasure and they just don't get yes. you don't get that same dopamine burst. Totally. That can be really pretty disturbing to I've be honest. Experienced that many times. Yeah. And it's, it's horrible. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean with something as simple as like for me, you know, playing Mario. I've I've been playing Mario since I was a little kid. Yeah. I love it. I Mario Maker is my obsession. Yeah. And some days I'll play it and it feels bad <laughs> because yeah. I was depressed before right. I started playing. Right. And it's like, what is wrong with me? This is what gives me joy and it doesn't give me joy. I'll never feel joy yes, again. Yes. <laughs> it's a very disturbing feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, so that an- that anhedonia is real, but um, even when I'm depressed, I you know I make a point of doing things on a daily basis that bring me those other you know quieter types of pleasure that can still help me feel satisfied with my life. Yes. Um, and what are, what are some examples of that? I mean, so sometimes, so so I'm kind of a nerdy, brainy person. So sometimes. <laughs> The my sort of entry point to feeling some kind of satisfaction with my day is reading and learning something new. Yeah. Um, which for me, you know, at the end of the day when I'm sort of evaluating my life before I go to sleep, which is maybe <laughs> not a good habit, but you know, when I'm like just sort of reflecting back on my life, I, I can be like, you know, at least I learned something today. Yes. That's a reason to get up and try to do things again tomorrow. Absolutely. Just, um, yeah, holding on to any victory is so important. And I think, you know, finding mm-hmm. ways to cogn- cognitively frame your own existence in ways that are positive, even when you feel like garbage. Exactly. Is a massively, massively valuable skill. Yes, yes. And it's a really tricky skill. For sure. It, it kind of, it's counterintuitive yeah. um, to, to be able to find, you know, a different kind of happiness, even when your brain is like not sending, you know, those, those really like kind of high positive si- signals that, that we usually associate with, you know, feelings of joy. Yeah. Um, other things that have been really useful for me are, um, you know, applying applying mindfulness to the things that I do like. Um, one thing that happens when I'm depressed is my mind kind of wants to um, sort of take over and just like go on these negative loops and really yeah. distract me from what I'm doing. Yes, totally. So, spinning out. Yeah, totally yeah. spinning out. And so one of the things that I do is um, if I'm doing something that I know is is pleasurable and it doesn't have to be super exciting, it can be drinking this cup of green tea here, mm-hmm. um, is just really slowing down and connecting to that experience of drinking the tea um, yeah. and not doing anything else. And and you know taking a break from my thoughts just to to focus on on um, drinking the tea or whatever it is because um, there is that you know pleasure and sensory experience um, or or comfort and sensory experience. Yeah, I I'm such 
such a big fan of what you're saying of like be in the moment. Yes. You know, that's one of the best ways to make your life more pleasurable. Yes. No matter what is happening. And I'm speaking as someone who's dealt with a massive amount of chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Being in the moment is massive. Yes. You know, if I and, you know, I sometimes I need to use uh, substances to get into the moment because sure. I'm in so much pain. So yeah. be it like pain medication or, you know, marijuana or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, if you if your body is forcing you to be miserable, you know, mm-hmm. give yourself permission to experiment with things um, in a careful way. Yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, we're in Washington State where marijuana is legal and there's a lot coming out about the health benefits of CBD. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. something that I definitely use. But like if I'm feeling so bad, I just can't do anything. All I can do is sit on the couch Um well, maybe I'll get stoned and watch a movie, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's going to be better than sitting on the couch in pain, thinking about how much pain I'm in. If I can distract myself in any way and just focus on the distraction, it really helps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's that's all life is, is all of these moments. And when we're uh, sort of ref- just reflecting on the past or planning for the future or feeling anxious about the future, like our, our lives just go by without even... Yeah. Without us even realizing it. Yeah. And for me, whenever I've been in a depressive state, those thoughts always go negative. Oh, absolutely. And, and I just think about negative things happening to me absolutely. Or, or like what I'm doing going in a negative direction or, or how bad everything can go. Yes. And none of those things are going to happen to me. Yes. Probably. Maybe, maybe like of all the obsessive thoughts I've had about what could go wrong, maybe like 5% of them have come to pass Uh and they were awful. Don't get Uh, me wrong. And I premeditated how bad they were going to be. So it was even worse. Yep. (laughs) So long story short, it's not healthy either way, because if you're premeditating something negative so that you can kind of prepare your mind for it, it's going to be worse because it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you're experiencing the bad thing twice. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And all the ones that didn't happen to you that you thought through, you didn't need to spend that energy in that. That negative space yeah so pull yourself back into the moment and just find something to distract yourself like and you know knitting pinball movies video games yes. uh, there's a lot you can do stationary and i've Absolutely. experimented with a lot of this yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it helps it yeah. helps yeah. yeah and you've really brought your strengths to bear on on improving your you know you know your quality of life your strengths of creativity and your um, optimism um, well, or your <laughs> choice to be optimistic <laughs> yes. because I think for a lot of us it does have to be a choice yes. um, so yeah that's awesome yeah I think the same of you absolutely I mean well, yeah and I, I'd like to expand on that for a second because I think I think you and I are both you know we're obviously we're friends we know each other yeah. outside of this podcast and I think both of us are, are people who have uh, negative tendencies that <laughs> yeah. we need to ignore. That's fair. Yeah. Yep. So how do you do that? How do you go about doing that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so tricky because, um, you know, just counteracting a negative thought doesn't work for, for me anyway. And I, I think for a lot of people, uh-huh. um, if I have a na- negative thought coming up, um, just trying to quote unquote be positive, just it feels like a kind of denial or repression. It's just yeah. like it, it makes me feel worse. It feels like a suggestion from someone who doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I can't be positive. I'm depressed. Damn it. Yeah, you know. It's like, shut up. Get out of my head. Yeah, yeah. So someone telling you to be positive when you're depressed is the worst. So- 
it's so the awful. worst. Yeah. Not, not helpful not at helpful. all. No. <laughs> yeah. So I have to like really, you know, first of all, just noticing that I'm having negative thoughts. Because, you know, sometimes the mental chatter is just going in, in the background and, and like you're, you're listening to it, but you're not really aware Hmm. Oh, I'm this. This is a chain of negative thoughts. Um, so just being aware that I'm having them, and then acknowledging actually I have some control over this mental chatter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to stop right now. And um, very often, what I need to do is is um, you know I can use some like thought stopping and trying to think the opposite thing, and and sometimes that works. Um, but very often what's most helpful is, is just like changing the scenario. So if I'm sitting at my desk and I'm doing some work and I'm thinking, oh, this is going terribly. This is taking too long. I'll never get through it all. I'm making all these mistakes, blah, 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 you know, just like on this negative thread. Um, first I need to catch myself doing that. And then I need to, you know, put down my work and get up and and walk outside. Mm-hmm. Sometimes okay. simply just like changing the scenery is is enough. Um, so like just stepping out and walking outside is actually a big one for me because I get the benefit of you know changing the scenery. Um, you know, going through a doorway, which in and of itself can sometimes just make me forget what I was thinking thinking of. Anyway. <laughs> you know, when you walk into a room looking for something and you're like what was I looking for the moment you walk through the doorway? So like walking through the doorway, sometimes I just forget what I was thinking about, which is great in this case. And, and being outside makes a big difference. So one thing that I try to do all winter, um, whether I'm at work or whatever's going on during the day is I do try to get outside and walk in the middle of the day, even if it's a gray overcast day, just that little bit of UV light Mm -hmm. makes a big difference. Um, so, so doing those little simple activities to sort of cut off, you know, cut off this obsessive chain of thought and and shift my my experience um, makes a big difference. Yeah, you also mentioned thought stopping, which mm-hmm. I I use that one a lot. Mm-hmm. So what I do for myself so often is like I'll spin out about something mm-hmm. and I'll be like, what if this happens? And then the thought that I always stop those thoughts with is, if that happens, I'll deal with it. You know, like I'll deal with it then. I don't need to deal with it now because it hasn't happened yet. So if it happens, I'll deal with it. And I'm a strong enough person to deal with it. Like this thought, there's, I can think of all these different ways to deal with it. That's why I'm spinning out is because I'm thinking of ways to deal with it. Exactly. But why don't I just wait to find out if it happens before I do that? So I, I tell myself that constantly. And then bring myself back into the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's my constant mantra is like, stop this thought, deal with it if it happens, don't worry about it now, let's play some Mario. <laughs> yep, totally, totally. I, I saw some uh, somewhere, uh, someone, I think she was a comedian, who said, you know, if, if you're anxious, that's really a sign of intelligence and creativity because you can mm. think about all of the ways that something can go terribly wrong. <laughs> Looking on yeah. the bright side there. Totally. <laughs> So, okay, you mentioned a bunch of things I wanted to come back to. One of them was that you rebelled against this when it first started. Yeah. So, let me get some background information. How long have you lived in the Pacific Northwest? My whole life. Okay, so you've <laughs> lived here your whole life, yes. and then this popped up in your mid-20s. I think so. I mean, like, yeah, I I definitely was a weird, quirky kid, which is, you know, probably why I like to work with weird, quirky kids now. Um, and so I wouldn't, I, I'd say I was a little maladjusted, but 
you? Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know if I was depressed. Okay. I mean, I think I think there you know there must have been something about some kind of developmental aspect of like growing up or you know full, having a fully developed brain or hormonal changes or something. I do I do think the depression like started in my early to mid twenties. So when that first started. What what did you think was happening? Um, gosh, I, I don't know. I, I think I thought that I must be doing my life wrong. I thought that okay. I was making myself depressed. So you thought it was your own fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought that maybe I was, um, uh, like studying the wrong major or Hmm. picked the wrong job or, you know, had a bad mind or was thinking the wrong thoughts or, uh, you know, uh, born on the wrong planet. I mean, I still think that sometimes. (laughs) Oh my God. I think that about myself every day. (laughs) This is why I have a science fiction podcast. (laughs) Yeah. I think we relate to each other on that level. But yeah, I really took it as a sign that something was wrong. I was also, and okay, maybe this is a little esoteric or advanced here, but I was also judging the depression as bad. Yeah, I think everything you're saying is like 100% what almost everyone will think. Yeah. That it's their fault yeah. and that depression is bad. Yeah. And and not to say that depression is good, but I think that... In some ways, depression is neutral because it is. It is what it is. Like I think a lot of people experience depression for reasons that are completely outside of their control. Yes, and recognizing that it's something happening to you, not something being generated from you, is Mm -hmm. for me has been really important. Yes, Um, and seasonal affective disorder is is absolutely that way because you are reacting to the environment. Yeah, it's more obvious in that case. Do you know anything about the science of this and why it happens and and anything like that. <laughs> I feel like that was I a great should. eye roll. That I, I hope the mic picked up the eye roll. <laughs> I feel like I should, um, but I, I can't explain it really well. Okay. Um, I, I do think that there are a lot of things that science doesn't really understand super well about depression in general. Absolutely. I mean, I think we all know like in in the 90s and the in the early um the early knots, we were all sort of sold on this idea that depression was simply a chemical imbalance. Like you have uh-huh. insufficient um serotonin and so if you just take this pill that gives you more serotonin, then your depression will go away and it's totally chemical chemical and you know, I, I guess a good thing about that was it kind of destigmatized depression a little Mm -hmm. like it took out that moralistic kind of uh theory of depression and 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 sort of replaced it with this chemical imbalance theory of depression but now as we're learning more um it seems that that's not really true that's not (laughs) really exactly how it works i mean antidepressants that boost your serotonin do help in a lot of cases um, but how they help is not just by boosting the serotonin. It's once the serotonin is boosted, it seems that um, your your neurons actually start to make more and new connections, huh. which suggests to me that 
there's something going on with depression where I mean I mean we've all had this experience of like getting stuck in a loop of thinking the same really painful thoughts over and over again and you know that I think is a great example of where our minds need to branch out and make new connections in different ways of of mentally responding to those situations, creating new thoughts in those same um, habitual situations. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like just sort of going off and hypothesizing here, yeah. but um, it, it, I wonder if depression is more about, you know, our brains just sort of closing down a little bit and sort of like narrowing focus and, um, sort of giving up on a, on a certain amount of like creativity yeah and i wonder if maybe something about not getting you know sunlight yes. like your brain is switching how it functions because it's not getting something that it's used to yes. or it really needs in some way yeah so it's switching into a different mode yeah and somehow i mean i, I am i am not a healthcare professional like <laughs> i'm just spitballing here no um, yeah 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 I, I think you're i think you're on the right track there i mean clearly there's a connection with light i mean we, we know that seasonal affective disorder is triggered by the the lack of sun the seasonal lack of sunlight that's yeah. why you know that's why it happens in the winter and and then improves in, over the spring and summer um, we also know that in, in a lot of cases when people have depression, I think whether it's a seasonal depression or just plain old major depressive disorder, um, using a UV light box uh -huh. for a certain number of minutes every day, it, uh, um, can be as effective or more effective than antidepressants for a lot wow, of people. I was going to ask you about that. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that is something that I do as well. It yeah. helps. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Well, that reminds me, what else have you done that has helped? You mentioned going to see a therapist or other doctors. Uh, mm -hmm. What are some things that you've tried that have, that you found to be beneficial that you think other people might want to give a try? Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, working with therapists has been wonderful. Um, it took me a, a while, like it took me, I think a couple years to like come around to going to a therapist. I'm, mm. I, I'm not sure why I like, I don't think I had any particular stigma around it. I just sort of like, didn't know how to find somebody. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, when I was in grad school, you know, I was aware that we had a counseling center and, and free counseling and I took advantage of that. And I'm so glad that I did. Um, so I've, I've had a couple, uh, a few different therapists now, um, and, um, each one has had a different approach and each one has been helpful for me in different ways. Um, also working with a psychiatrist to figure out medications has also been helpful. Um, you know, I, I've tried, I, and with psychiatry, it's like, it's an art and a science. Like you, you kind of have to, you usually have to try a few different things before you find a medication mm. that sticks if you end up finding a medication that sticks. So I definitely tried a few things that like did not work <laughs> um, and had some weird side effects, um, but ultimately settled on um, like a pretty low dose of sertraline, uh, really... It does. It hasn't transformed my depression, but it keeps me from feeling the really low lows. Uh, you know, the 
I used to have an experience, the experience of periodically during the winter, just like getting in such a low, low, it was hard for me to like dig myself out. Mm -hmm. Um, just feeling so bad. I couldn't do the things that made me better. Mm -hmm. Um, which is such a real thing. It's so real. Yeah. And that that's a really hard place to be in. Yeah. I've, you know, and I've experienced some of that as well, where like no, no, no amount of trying to pull yourself into the moment yes. can work. Yes. And those days you just have to like, bed. you just have to ride those days out yes. and they suck. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, sometimes I'm, even yeah. stopping doesn't work on those right. days. Like you can't even talk to yourself positively. Right. Yeah. So the low dose of sertraline keeps me out of those okay. days it gives me you know just enough of a boost that when i am feeling depressed i can at least do the things and think the thoughts yeah that um that help me feel a little bit better and, and nice. reconnect reconnected to my life that's great yeah yeah, yeah that's great to have that that tool in your toolkit mm -hmm. um i was going to ask you this and then i got sidetracked and forgot but you you mentioned being uh like rebelling against your depression? Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And particularly, how did that shift? And how did you accept your depression? Because it sounds like that's where you got to. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I think there there have been a couple things sort of along my path that have really helped me reframe what depression means in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's very personal. You know, it's it's just for me. Like, I don't I don't think that my way of, of finding meaning in depression is necessarily going to connect with other people. But I do think that it's important to try to find some meaning out of it. So the, the first experience that that helped me start to put the pieces of this puzzle together where um, my thesis in grad school, um, studying to become a pediatric nurse practitioner and focusing on working with kids on the autism spectrum, um, I wanted to learn more about how parents coped with and came to terms with the fact that their child has a diagnosis of autism. And so I did this huge literature review and um, it, and sort of had this big cluster of different types of studies looking at how parents coped. And it, it gradually sort of emerged to me that there were like three or four main kind of styles or categories of coping behaviors, um, it, including like venting your emotions, um, action-oriented coping, like doing a lot of things and taking care of a, a lot of business, so to speak, getting your kid into therapy, this, that, and the other thing. Um, so venting your emotions, action-oriented coping. Um, I forget what the other one was. And then the fourth category was changing your sense of life's meaning. And the only one that was associated more consistently with like positive outcomes was changing meaning. Uh -huh. The other forms of coping could be helpful temporarily, but ultimately, hmm. um, like parents had to, um, you know, over time and in their own way, and and hopefully with some support of the people in their lives, change their their sense of meaning of what it means to be a parent. Um, their sense of meaning uh, around like what a good childhood is, mm -hmm. um, the the sense of meaning of of sort of like what they're getting out of or contributing to everyday life. And that's a big task. Sure. Yeah. That is a big, complex, and really personal, individualized task. But that is the kind of coping that sticks. So I was like, huh. 
it, it was really, for me, it was a really interesting finding. Like, I'm glad I did my, my thesis on that. But it, it also made me feel a little bit powerless as a new provider. Like, what am I going to do to help people change their sense of meaning in life? Um, but it's interesting to know that that's an important part of the process. And, and I think now that I'm a, a more mature provider, I do try to incorporate that yeah. into my work. Um, but it also had an influence on on how I, I started to think about my depression. It took me a while to kind of put put two and two together and connect mm-hmm. those things. Um, and I think the other big thing that sort of helped me change my sense of meaning around my depression was actually uh, mythology, storytelling. Oh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised by this, too. Um, but I, for years, I've just had sort of a nerdy interest in ancient Greece. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I'm interested in sort of following findings on ancient Greek um, archaeology and mythology and, uh, you know, history and so on. Um, but so I was doing a lot of, you know, digging, trying to find um, different retellings of ancient Greek myths. And the one that really struck me was the myth of Persephone and her descent into the underworld. <laughs> so I don't know if you, you know, you ever read about the Greek myths in elementary school or anything. But it's per- been a while. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I remember that Persephone exists and yeah, that's about it. Like that rings a bell. Yeah, what's the gist yeah, of the yeah, story? Yeah, so the gist of the story is Persephone was the young goddess of the springtime. <laughs> um, she was the daughter of the, you know, earth goddess Demeter. Um, so she was the goddess of the springtime and she was associated with sunshine and flowers and girls. Girlishness. Um, and one day she's out picking flowers in a meadow and wanders away from her friends. And um, a big crack opens in the ground and <laughs> and out comes this dark chariot um, being driven by Hades, the god of the underworld uh-huh. and the god of the dead. And he abducts her yoink, and takes her into the underworld and... Um, she becomes his wife and oh, the queen geez. of the underworld. It doesn't sound good. Right? It doesn't sound good. But here's the interesting thing. I mean, depending on who's telling the story, um, Persephone in the underworld um, becomes, some people call her like the midwife for the dead. Um, so she becomes the person who... Um, guides newly dead spirits through the process of navigating their, you know, their new home in the underworld. And she provides them comfort and guidance in this time when they're completely bewildered. And she becomes a queen. Um, You know, she's, she becomes the wife of an important God. She has a role. She has, she has, um, a job. Uh, she has, <laughs> you know, she has a she has a purpose, um, and and she has to become pretty grown up. Um, and the the traditionally the story goes that um, you know she's quote unquote rescued from the underworld. However, many months later, um, but she's tricked into eating. Um, three pomegranate seeds or six pomegranate seeds, depending on who you ask. Um, <laughs> and by eating the food of the underworld, she she is permanently tied to the underworld. So she has to spend 
um, three to six months of the year in the underworld, um, even after she d- returns to the surface. So some people take that huh. as a as a, um, a, a sort of a story about the seasons, why we have different seasons when yeah. Persephone is in, in the upper world. It's sunny, it's bright, the plants are growing. Um, but when Persephone every winter goes down into the underworld to take up her role as the queen of Hades, um, she everything is dark, the plants die, the, you know, the sun goes away. Um, but for me, it's also sort of a story of of like coming to terms with a life that is characterized by these two different phases. Yeah. And and realizing that maybe one isn't better or worse than the other. Um it it just is. It's a cycle mm. of nature. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it, you know, anything that can bring you any sense of of wholeness is valuable. Absolutely. No matter where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not my it, it, it turns out it's not my calling in life to be joyful and cheerful in springtime all of the time. <laughs> it's yeah. my calling in life to be joyful and cheerful in springtime some of the time. Yeah. Um but also to be able to connect to those parts of life that are um you know darker or quieter or um m- more Still or more empty, even. I think in our in our culture we don't really we don't really like sort of that flip side or that yin side of life. Um, but it's it's really important. It's important to be able to slow down um, to and to see sort of see the quieter, dark, darker, more um, even more just like receptive. Um, part of life okay so that starts to make sense of how you've integrated this seasonal affective disorder mm-hmm. into your life in a in a more positive way mm-hmm. um do you feel like it is a part of you or something that happens to you hmm both like um it's not something it's not something that i chose it's not something that I think is like an expression of my personality or whatever. It's not, it's not volitional. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something, my seasonal depression is is something that definitely came to me. I didn't come <laughs> to it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, it's part of me, right? Like I didn't, I also didn't choose to, you know, be born in the United States or to be born into such and such culture, Mm -hmm. but it's my culture is still a part of me. Yeah. um, If that makes sense. I can't really separate myself from, you know, the things that, that affect me or, or the things that are all around me. Yeah, totally. And I think, yeah, I think it's so important to recognize when something is like that, you know, like for me, I've, you know, I went through a period where I was rebelling against the idea that I had this chronic pain. Yeah. And I would try to, you know, ignore it or pretend it wasn't there or yeah. try to live a normal life where I wasn't, you know, acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. And it would always get worse. Yeah. And then I'd get mad. Yeah. And that was not good for me. Um, yes. And when I started 
trying to work in conjunction with it and say, okay, well, if this is a, it's given that this is a part of me, like Mm -hmm. I, I don't have control over that. Mm -hmm. So what can I do to make this manageable or better or, you know, incorporate it into my life somehow? And then at a certain point, it started to feel like something, I, I I hate to use this word, but something special about me, Mm -hmm. even though I hated it. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sort of sense. Yeah. Um, where like if I could go back in time and remove it from my life, um, there was a period of time where I felt like no, I wouldn't mm-hmm. because this has made me a more conscious adult. Yeah, um, absolutely. Now that like that was between flare ups, then I had another big flare up, <laughs> and I was like, well, fuck it, fuck I don't this. need it, I don't want it, <laughs> get it out of me. Where's the time machine? Yeah, um, but unfortunately, I don't even know what it is, so I wouldn't know how to get it out if I wanted right. to. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I've gone through phases where I, where I was glad to have had chronic mm-hmm. health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, has that ever happened to you with this? Yeah, absolutely. I mm. mean, I, I think like I don't, I don't enjoy it. And if there were, right. if there were a magic wand that could make seasonal affective disorder go away, I, I'd spring for that in an instant. <laughs> absolutely. But I. It, uh, there are things that I've gained from having this experience and and from having to, you know, go through this whole process of coming to terms with this experience and learning to live with it and, and learning to sort of shape it to the extent that I'm able to. Um, and, and I think that, you know, one of the important things that I've gained is more empathy for yeah, what so totally. many other people are yes, going through. Totally. That's the biggest thing for me too. And that matters. Yeah. That it, it does really matter. matters. It makes you a better person to be empathetic. It does. I'm just gonna say it. Like I don't I don't believe in black and white and I don't believe in right and wrong <laughs> in a lot of different scenarios, but I do think that that having empathy towards other people makes the way that you interact with the world better. Yes, it absolutely does. And, you know, connecting with people is like a fundamental human need. And, and we do that through our empathy. Mm-hmm. And so ha- having well-developed empathy is good. And, and it'd be nice if we could develop our empathy without having to go through really painful experiences. Right. But I don't know if we can. I don't think we can. I think yeah. that suffering is intrinsic to growth. I, I agree. Yeah. And that's that's the one thing about it where it's like, the more you suffer, the more you either and, you either diminish or you grow. Yes, and you have to choose. It can't be just any suffering. It has right. to. You have to suffer skillfully and consciously. Yes. Like you you have to make the choices. Yes, you know. And I this is the thing that I always want to tell people, which is that if you are suffering, you know, it is temporary, mm-hmm. and e- even if it's going to continue to come back your entire life like seasonal affective disorder mm-hmm. may you may have this problem every winter exactly. your entire life but um but it's not going to happen every summer also exactly you know? yeah so or even if you have chronic depression that is year round mm-hmm. you have better days and you exactly. know that you've had better every days every day is different every day is yep. different and tomorrow might be better exactly and i that's i mean i know how hard that can be to you know for me like i i go through months at a time where i'm on the couch all day every day and yeah. i can't get up and do anything and I'm always just waiting for that better day. Yeah. And I've been having better days this week. Yay! I, like, I went for two jogs in a row. Hell two yeah. days in a row. That And that hasn't happened to me in a really long time. That's awesome. And it's been, you know, a really long time that I've been thinking that that wasn't ever going to happen again. And right. then here it is. Yes. So, uh, always keeping yourself open to the possibility that things 
that you will have a better day the next day is so important. And, Absolutely. You know, have I? This is a very personal question, mm-hmm. and we can uh, we can cut this out if you don't want to answer. <laughs> Go for it. Have you ever been so depressed that you were at the point of having suicidal thoughts? Um, no, I, I haven't really had suicidal thoughts, and. I don't know if this is true, but I think that's because I'm always just curious about what's going to happen the next day. Hmm. I, you know, I'm really... I love that. Yeah, I'm curious about what's going to happen in this life, even if it is kind of awful sometimes yeah. or a lot of the times. <laughs> and and so I do think my curiosity is one of the things that keeps me going when it gets especially hard. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I... I think that people punishing themselves for having suicidal thoughts, um, like there's no need to punish yourself no. for that. You know, yeah. if you've had the thought, so many people have. Yeah. Um, but but finding ways to, but finding ways to move forward. Yeah. is the important thing. And, and acknowledging like, cur- that it's just a thought. It's, it's a thought, thought that's yeah, coming absolutely. to you. Yeah. You didn't ask. For it doesn't it. mean that you are suicidal and going to act on it. Yes. just because this thought has occurred to you, and and finding ways to keep yourself going is so crucial. And I think curiosity is a great one. Yeah. It's a really good one. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's um, I'm I'm also not someone who's ever been suicidal. Mm. And I think about a friend of mine who had chronic pain and did kill herself Mm. and how horrible that felt to know that like, I mean, she and I never sat down and talked about it because I didn't know she was going through it. And I I wish that I could have talked to her because I felt like maybe I could have helped. Maybe that's just, you know, just like wishful thinking. But, Mm. um, but yeah, I mean, that's part of the, part of the, the impetus for me for wanting to make this podcast mm-hmm. is to put ideas out there f- for people to cope and yes. ways for people to um, get through bad days. Yes. Those days where you can't get up yes. and you know, it's going to be awful all day and yes. you in this horrible, deep despair about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, how do you get through that? And I, I love curiosity. Let's add that to the list. Yeah. Curiosity about, How's tomorrow going to be? Yeah. And also just reminding yourself over and over that there are, that you have had better days and that means that it's possible to have more good days. Exactly. No matter what happens, no matter how bad things get, exactly. it is always possible to have better days. Yeah. Always. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think it's so, I'm so glad that you're doing this podcast and, and that we're having this opportunity to talk about this because I think it's so important that we all talk with other people about our pain yes whether you have chronic pain or or mental illness or or you know don't have any of those things we every single human has pain Mm -hmm. and i think it's important that we talk with each other about it because meaning making happens socially like it doesn't happen in isolation and uh you know we need to have those experiences of of um, like connecting with others and, and sharing ideas with others to to make meaning of the hard experiences that we're that we're having and transform them into something more than just meaningless suffering. Abs- I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Like a lot of my loneliest days in my life have been my bad pain days. Yeah, because because I always feel like no one wants to hear about it. Yep, and I, I think I'm feeling. right about that. You know, <laughs> I yeah. don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I do feel like. People don't want to hear about it. Yeah. Like people don't want to talk. To, people don't want to have like every interaction they have with me be like, "Well, I hurt today." Right. You know? So I often hide it or or downplay it or don't talk about it 
yeah. or just suffer in silence alone yeah. or just dump it all out on my significant other because right. which is horrible i i you know i but there needs to be for me there needs to be community around it and there yes. needs to be um purpose behind yeah. it and this is this is my therapy you know right like talking to other people putting this this collection of conversations together as a resource is my therapy yeah it's helping me give some meaning to what i've experienced yeah and also you know like like we're recording on a day where i'm having a relatively good day and mm -hmm. that's great and i can say right now today's a better day you know hey. like i'm having a better day <laughs> today day. right now and yesterday was pretty great also so better days can happen yes. and you know just because a day is awful doesn't mean every day is going to be awful right um yeah i don't know I, I feel very passionately about these things. That's but, awesome. And it's because I've experienced it. Like, I didn't get it until I experienced it. And then I realized how wrong I was. Right. I used to be the type of person who would say, you know, you know, well, if you've got these chronic issues, like, you just need to solve them. Right. Just solve them. <laughs> yeah. Just fix it. And that's the thing that doesn't exist is, exactly. is easy fixes. Right. Like, doctors don't understand depression. There's no cure for the human yeah. condition. Yeah. There's no cure for the goddamn common cold. <laughs> right. Let alone, like, chronic depression, yeah. seasonal affective disorder, fibromyalgia. Like, there's no cure for these things. Exactly. We don't even know what they are. Exactly. Like, fibromyalgia is a name for people who have chronic pain for we don't know why. Exactly. You know? Uh, so when there isn't a cure, what do you do mm -hmm. when, when science hasn't caught up with what's happening with your body, which is my life? Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you do? Because there are no scientific answers because the science isn't there. Yeah. So that's when you have to get creative. Yeah. Use your creative thinking and find ways to make your life closer to what you want it to be Absolutely. and give up on the idea of having this perfect life and having yes. everything that you want and just celebrate what you do have, recognize what you do have and have patience for the things mm -hmm. that you want to have in the future mm -hmm. and be flexible with yourself right. and, and, you know, kind to yourself. It, yeah. And it means relinquishing quite a lot of control sometimes yeah. and letting life come to you. Absolutely. I have one last question for you. All right. Uh, well, actually, no, I have two questions for okay. you. So how do you brace yourself for <laughs> winter? And I guess, do you brace yourself for winter? Yes. I do brace myself for winter. Um, probably the the number one thing that I do to prepare myself for this pretty, you know, predictable slump that might last three to six months um, is scheduling activities mm. that are fun um, and ideally a little bit social and not too hard to do do like there can't be too much of a <laughs> yes. barrier to doing the activity yeah. it's like one of the things that i really enjoy actually is cross-country skiing like going way out in the mountains and getting together all my equipment and you know going out into the woods on skis that's great when on a day when i have a lot of energy and i'm uh -huh. feeling pretty good and i've had time <laughs> to like get everything all set up but when i'm like really in a funk there's no way i'm gonna get out and go on a day or a weekend of cross-country skiing to improve my improve my mood unfortunately so one of the things that i started doing a few years ago that i thought would be you know easy to do warm winter activity was social dancing yeah and um, so I, I'd go out, I, you know, took lessons and I'd go out dancing at least once a week. And even now, you know, there's some days where 
I might, you know, go out dancing just to sort of be there and and maybe have a dance or two. But um, even if I don't have like the energy or mental wherewithal to dance all night, just just showing up and mm-hmm. and having that on my calendar um, can really help. Yeah, that's great. So scheduling some activities, um, planning workouts. So like joining a gym is sort of part of my depression treatment strategy. Um, also planning workouts that are, you know, not too intimidating. Mm-hmm. You know, I was working with a personal trainer for a while and he gave me a, a set of, of like one hour workouts. And I'm like, nope, I, I went through and reworked it so that it was half an hour because that's like less intimidating when I'm feeling like really low energy and depressed. So yeah. having some low barrier workouts um, scheduled uh, it is another important thing that I do that and and making time to go outside every day. That's that's my kind of that's my pillbox. That's my treatment toolkit. Yeah, I think that's massive. And that's what I'm trying to do right now is like get some exercise because I, yeah. I haven't been able to in a really long time. Yeah. And on any day where I feel like I can at all, yes. I try to yeah. do it. Even just some stretches, get my blood moving a little bit, move my body around. Anything. You know, human yeah. human bodies are made to move. Absolutely. And when you stop moving them, it becomes harder to do so. It, yep. And when you're already having difficulty moving your body for something completely unrelated to your physical body, mm-hmm. but your body's health, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously chronic pain is happening in my body, but right. it's not like... Um, you can still move your arms and legs, theoretically. Sure. Yeah, and like some days that's so painful I can't. Yeah. But on days where it's not, I try to force myself to, even if like, you know, I, and I it's hard to give up your ideas about what a workout is. Yep. <laughs> like I used to, you know, bike to the gym and then lift some weights yep. and then bike home. And, you know, that was a big day. But now it's like, okay, if I can get outside and just doing anything. It can make a big difference. Just and, a little bit of stretching. And the real catch 22 yeah. about like being in pain or, or being in depressed, being depressed is uh, like my depression tells me, oh, walking around the block isn't going to make any difference. So don't even uh, yes, do it. Yes, <laughs> totally, totally, totally. And then I have to use my grown up voice, yes. you know, my mothering myself to say, actually, it will make a difference. Yes. Put on your shoes. Yes. <laughs> Put on uh, your coat. Totally. Walk around the block. Yeah. If that's all you can do today, it will make a difference. And it always does. Always. But you yeah. have to counter that little voice that says, I can't, or, right. or it's not going to be worthwhile, or right. this, you know, this uh, treatment that you're doing is so small that you might as well not do it. Not true. Right. There's no physical activity that is too small to be worth doing. I 100% agree. Even just, you know, even just like days where I've been on the couch and in a lot of pain, I would start trying to like stretch while lying down on the couch. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, just like stretch out my back, like move my legs around, like, you know, move my body just a little bit on the couch. And it really helped. Absolutely. It really helped. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think that's massive. Um yeah, and I know how hard it. I, I, you know, I know how hard it is to not be able to move your body and to want to be able to. So mm-hmm. I, I get that. But, and I'm not saying to like punish yourself on days that you can't. Right. And just like acknowledging that there are days where you can and days where you can't, and to make the effort to try on days where you can, I think is massively, massively helpful. Yeah. And moving your body does release like dopamine yep. in your brain. Yeah, it will absolutely. make you feel better. It's designed that way. Yeah. Your body's designed to make you feel better yep. when you, you move, move around. Move lactic acid and inflammatory markers out of your tissues yeah. and 
um, yeah, it makes you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I've had the experience where I've tried to exercise and it makes me feel so sick after. Mm. And like, you know, I still don't really understand why, but I've had a lot of experiences where I tried to move and got, you know, I would, it felt like it flushed something into my body that was just causing mm, pain everywhere. Yeah. And those are the days where I know that I really shouldn't because yeah. it's too taxing on my body. And like, I, I will like go into muscle spasms and be in so much pain. It's like, okay, well that wasn't, yeah. that wasn't a good result, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm at least glad I tried. Yeah. yeah. And I think those are the days where I try, I did too much, you know, yeah. like I tried to bike somewhere when I shouldn't have, I should yeah. have just like gone for laps around my house totally where I can stop at any time. And yeah, being careful is so important, but, it really is. but yeah, the trying is really, really important. Okay. Last question. I hate this question, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway. Go right ahead. Um, have you thought about moving to someplace where there is sun year round? Absolutely. I mean, I think I think about it all of the time, but at the same time, like so many of the things that give my life meaning, mm-hmm. you know, and make me feel connected to my life um, are here in Seattle. Um, my partner, my work, I, I have family in the area. Um I love the Pacific Northwest. I mean, I, yeah. despite the gray winters, it's just a really beautiful part of the world. Um, so, so I would definitely have to like give that up to move somewhere that's sunny year round. Um, so I've, you know, I've decided not to, to make that move, but yeah, of course I, I think about it. Yeah. It's an option. Yeah. And I just want to say the reason I hate that question is because I feel like it has a, a prejudice in it Mm -hmm. that people are, are not doing something that could help them by choosing to stay. You could fix this if only you moved. Right. And I just want to say that like you, first of all, you don't know that. Exactly. (laughs) And second of all, uh, there are there's so many it's like people's lives are complex and yep. there's so much happening I, I mean, this is your home you know yeah, yeah, like this is my home one and person's assumption that like giving up your home would help you is not necessarily true for you exactly yeah. exactly and and depression you know the seasonal depression yeah it's a big part of my life um but it's not everything in my life there and there's a lot that that matters to me that's keeping me here yeah awesome well i really really appreciate your time this has been a really fascinating discussion and i think uh i hopefully a really helpful discussion yeah i mean i i can't imagine how this couldn't be a helpful discussion to anyone experiencing anything similar to you it's been helpful for me yeah just <laughs> talking about it i'm, I'm yeah. really glad that you're asking these questions i think it's awesome yeah and I, re- I really appreciate you being here and being so open and honest it's it's really valuable so thank you you're welcome um, so tell us again your website and your your business and where people can find you if they want to. Okay, yeah. So um, my business is Full Spectrum Families, and you can find it at fullspectrumfamilies.com. And I do online child developmental consultations. Um, I specialize in working with families whose kids are on the autism spectrum, um, as well as kids with other you know unique developmental trajectories. And um, I work with families in the state of Washington, anywhere in the state of Washington. Nice. Um, I I asked this to the last person I had on the show. If people have advice for how to deal with uh, seasonal affective disorder, Mm -hmm. is that something you want to hear or don't want to hear? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm always very open to hearing advice. 
Um, and, and I'm happy to like take what works and leave what doesn't. Yeah. Like I usually feel like advice is at least well-intentioned, even if sometimes it doesn't connect with me or it might be wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can live with that. <laughs> nice. Cool. Yeah. I'm someone where I feel like most of the advice I get is stuff that I've already heard a million times. That's the thing. Like you're yeah. already the expert. You're on your already condition. the expert. Yeah, totally. And I applaud you for being open to it even beyond that. Cause I know you've probably experienced that yeah. also. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if anyone has any thoughts on seasonal affective disorder, write to me and then I'll filter that through to Kara. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kara, thank you so much. I really thank appreciate you. you being here. This thank was you. Fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of major pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com.